This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is March 24th, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Uh, my name is Lyanne Susan. I was at Hofstra from December of 2016 till December of 2019. Um, so I was there for about a good solid three years. A couple of my titles that I had, I was heavily involved in um, the sports department. Um, I was the first Long Island Nets producer when we became the flagship for the radio um, for the Long Island Nets, which is the G League of the Brooklyn Nets that everyone's really familiar with here in New York um, and across the country. And then I worked my way up to becoming the first uh, WRHU sports director, first female sports director for WRHU. So that was really monumental for myself as a young broadcaster and a student of the industry. And then I had the chance to mentor fellow of my peers too. So it was a really great learning experience and just growth overall as a person, as a broadcaster, um, and just being a professional in this industry of radio that we love. Okay. Um, so you worked primarily in news and sports. Did you work on any other programming, any music shows? I In music, I did not get involved in um, very closely. I was a producer for a league of their own, uh, which is friend, uh, Fran Spencer's show that I had worked on, which was amazing because it was all about storytelling and issues that had affected women. So I had worked on that on the part time, but sports was really my love. And it was a big reason why, uh, it brought me to the station and a big reason why I came to Hofstra. Um, go, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, what was it that first brought you to the radio station? And when you first got there, can you talk about the first time you went to the station, whether you went to the office or a meeting? Uh, for those of us who weren't uh, there when you were there, can you describe what it was like and maybe some of the people that you met uh, when you first got to Hofstra Radio? Yeah, of course. So I had, when I'm from New York, um, not far from Hofstra, so I'm right in Yonkers, New York, um, so about you know 40 minutes away. Um, and I wanted to stay close to home, and I knew Hofstra was the best fit. And what brought me to Hofstra was because of RHU. I knew their involvement with the New York Islanders, um, and then they only had the New York Islanders, but mm -hmm. they were heavily involved in broadcasting um, Hofstra Sports, with, which is Division One. So I wanted to be behind the mic very early on. And Hofstra was is one of the only schools for um, the school of communication to get that hands-on experience for your first year as a freshman. I know a couple of schools, it takes a while. Um, but I knew that was the biggest reason why I went to Hofstra and why I wanted to be heavily involved because I wanted to do sports. Um, when I went first went to um, WRHU, of course, it's very intimidating um, because you're super wide-eyed and you want to get heavily involved. But you... Uh, quickly learn that it is uh, you start from the bottom and you work your way up. And of course, that is an adjustment. Um, and there are people ahead of you, especially in the, in the sports department. You just don't start, you know, doing play by play, being a sports analyst and being on the air. You start as an end assist and you work your way up. Um, so, you know, you walk into the office, um, which is really the centerpiece of the main um, 
focus of the station. And it was, it was, you know, you fall in love with it immediately. I had a chance to meet with John Mullen for the very first time. I was interviewed by him um, and a member of the sports department. And he had, uh, when he was interviewing me, he posed a really interesting question. You know, he knew that I was in love with sports um, and he had brought to me a question said, if you had a chance to, um, uh, interact with um, Michael K or the owner of ESPN, who would you interact with or meet or talk to? And I said, Michael K. And he's like, wrong answer. You always want to meet ownership and GMs and, and people at top level, because those are the people that are going to get you jobs and not Michael K because you're going to be replacing him. So I learned that from the very beginning. So those are just kind of like the small tools that I have learned, not just to be a broadcaster, but interpersonal skills and the way that radio had worked in rankings. Um, and I learned that within just a few hours at RHU. And then I had done the training class, which was, I, I, I can't remember how long it is, but it was a first, it was an entire semester. So three month long training class. Um, and then I immediately got involved in the sports department being an NG assistant, worked my way up through there. So I'd like to go back to just before you started attending Hofstra. You said you were aware of WRHU and Hofstra's reputation. Um, can I ask how you heard about that? Was it because you had interest in radio or was it something that you learned about through your high school? Mm -hmm. That's a really great question. So I was, I knew I wanted to go to Hofstra because he had a really great communications department. Um, I wasn't entirely um, familiar with the radio station until I had done a tour um, and they brought you through the School of Communication. And obviously there's an entire section that's just the, the radio station. So I had seen their trophies. I had seen their Marconi that they had won. And I think then they had only one, they had won two. I think they had only one Marconi. I can't remember the year it was. Maybe it was from 2015 when they won their first one. Because I think you went every two years or so. Um, or it was from 2017. I can't remember. But it was... It, seeing all that and the how credible they were. And then you go around the halls and you see their partnership, the years that they were aligned with the New York Islanders. I knew that was the place that I can get the experience quickly and that they would set me up for, you know, a long time um, job, you know, later on when I had graduated. So it was really doing the tour around the school of communication when I was um, a freshman uh, when I was a senior in high school and then becoming a freshman that fall. So this was one of those general uh, campus tours where someone leads you around and shows you the buildings and where the library is? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm. So I always knew Hofstra had a really great um, communications department, but it was then where I found out more about um, RHU. That that really makes me curious for my time. I, I yeah. would have been... Uh, I, I knew I was going to Hofstra while I was in school and it was, I grew up 15 minutes away. I don't, I assume there were tours back then. And I, I don't know if they would have mentioned the radio station in 1989. I don't know if it would have been on their list of places to recognize. So, um, so the, the, uh, this might be asking too much detail, but uh, I'm just so curious cause it's so different than my experience, but, um, did the tour guide seem to know stuff about the radio station or they were just like, here it is. 
going back to it, I if they would have told me anything, I would have believed them. Um, <laughs> but they, um, I think now the radio station is just such a focal point. It is a crown jewel in the school of communication, sure. and people need to know what is going on in at the station. So at the time. Um, they did seem extremely knowledgeable and they knew, I think actually now going back to it, there were students there and there was John Mullen there and they were actually, the tour guide didn't even share information. It was the students that were involved with the radio station had shared everything because I now thinking back at it, that's exactly what happened. So there, I think I remember there were four current student leaders, student managers at the radio station. There was John Mullen that was assisting. So they, you know, those are the best perspectives when you get it from current students. Sure, sure. So you mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, doing a sort of an initial interview with John mm-hmm. Mullen. Yeah. Um, and then that leads to training classes. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what goes into the announcing classes or perhaps the the engineering classes? Did you get any good tips, things that you remembered that stuck with you? Yes, completely. Um, so we went through the three-month course. First, I was interviewed by John, kind of an acceptance story too that I wanted to be involved in. And then I had done the three-month course. And through there, you pretty much learn everything about radio and how it functions, um, FCC regulations, just everything as a whole about the radio industry and the importance that Hofstra is an AFM in New York City. You know, at the time, it meant nothing to me. I'm like, why do I care that Hofstra Mm -hmm. has an FM frequency? But now looking back at it, I'm like, that's so important because you're competing against the entire, you know, New York City market, um, which is really fascinating to think about. But one of the things that sticks out during the entire training process is that you have to do audio, um, audio clearances, announcing clearances, that's the name of it. Mm-hmm. And you tape an entire, you record an entire script from Newsline, which is the 30-minute news broadcast that airs Monday through Friday called Newsline. And um, I did the recording and Ed Engel, mm-hmm. uh, he listen to the recording and I was not very good. I, and I, and he gave me all these critiques that I can't think of to this day, but he gave me a shot and he told me to continue shadowing Newsline. Um, and it, I remember him passing me and I, I was so thankful that he gave me a shot and he saw some potential in me because my recording was terrible, terrible. <laughs> and I knew that I needed to really step up my game then when Ed gave me a shot. Ed Ingalls is one of those names that people who knew him, they speak very, very highly of the man as not only as a, as a broadcaster, but as a human being. And I, I only knew Ed very, very, uh, very little, uh, unfortunately. Can you speak a little bit about working with Ed and, and how he worked with young broadcasters? I think he was definitely someone that you looked up to immediately. Um, he had come in from time to time at the time that I was at Hofstra and working with him was always, he was always very gentle, patient 
with younger students and he always offered really valuable advice and wanted to see everyone succeed immediately. Um, and, you know, spending my time with him, I think he even gave his own blessing um, for when I had become sports director and he saw something in me, which um, I always take throughout my career. So just learning the critical skills needed, you know, to be a broadcaster and, you know, to be a leader was really through him. So I will always thank him for that and be mm. appreciative. Mm. So, so you get some good advice from Ed. He, he encourages you along the way. Yes. Next question is about getting on the air live for the first time. Do you remember uh, when that was or what it was like or the feelings that were going through your, through your mind as you were getting ready to go live? I do remember that. I can't remember the date, which I probably should remember, <laughs> but it was being a sports department member, you are, it's mandatory to do a, a sports update. So you're assigned one. It's a quick two minute hit of everything going on in sports. Um, and I remember doing it. I was super, super nervous about it, but I was excited. Um, and I remember doing it for Newsline. It was live. And we do, and then after we, after the show, we do a quick you know, recap of the show. And the person, the, the lead news anchor at the time turned to me and said, it was good but you could tell you were nervous. And I just used that to make it perfect the next time. I always tried to be perfect. Um, I honestly, I learned really quickly that I was not uh, uh, really meant to be on air. Um, You know, I could be charismatic when I needed to be. I could be you know, funny when I needed to be, I could be really informative when I needed to be. But then I thought, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. So I decided to really, you know, decide to stick with producing with, um, you know, really more behind the scenes. There were sports that I did really follow that I loved. Um, but there, I, I decided to make, take more of a backseat and become a leader and do more of the behind the scenes stuff. Hmm. So, so just going back to to this idea about wanting to get into radio and and specifically sports. Were there sports that you competed in in high school, or were you just a fan of sports and said, "I want to, I want to do this. I want to be part of it." I always, I grew up with sports. I loved it, and I don't even know how I fell into it because I come from immigrant parents, and they couldn't, they could care less about sports. My sister and I, we were always really competitive with each other. So I think that stemmed from it. I grew up as a Yankee fan, you know, right outside the Bronx. Mm -hmm. And I always admired those, uh, yes, uh, network broadcasts. And just then they started with female, um, um, clubhouse reporters, which was great with like Kim Jones. I grew up with love her. I still listen to her on WFAN when she comes on, you know, now with Meredith Morakovitz, she was one that I had followed really closely. And I thought, you know, maybe I can do that. Um, so, but I knew, um, RG would give me those tools that were needed, but then I slowly found that, you know, maybe on air wasn't quite for me, you know, maybe that will change, but I love working behind the scenes and I still love being close to talent and being close to pro programming. But it was really um, my love for the Yankees following their broadcast um, and then eventually jumping into Hofstra and the radio station where I became even more in love um, with radio and just audio and storytelling. 
So, so you, you talk about this, this sort of realization that you didn't necessarily want to be on the mic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of goes into a different question and maybe we can, can look at both of these, but my, my general question is when did you feel comfortable at the station and, and Hofstra radio, this is a place where I want to be, where I want to spend my time and direct my energy. Did mm-hmm. you know that right away? Did it take some time? And did that have anything to do with your experience on air and deciding now I want to do more of the, the behind the scenes stuff? You know, thanks for asking that. And I think that's a really important question because it was very difficult at first. You know, early on, I did mention that it was, you learn really quickly that things work in rankings in just terms of you have to start from the very bottom. You have to start as an engine assist and work your way up, you know, and you have to be fully involved if you want that to happen. Nothing is given to you. So it it took me about a full year to get fully comfortable and playing multiple roles. And now more than ever with radio, you need to learn how to pretty much do everything. Um, You have to be able to produce, you have to be able to work behind the board. You know, you have to learn how to go on air if need to, if someone doesn't come in, you have to learn to pretty much be, do everything that's, that's possible to, to, on the, the programming side. So it took me a full year and being as close as I was to Hofstra, I decided to dedicate an entire summer and have a good summer and make myself notice to the upperclassmen because eventually I realized that these upperclassmen end up leaving. They graduate and people need to f- step up and fill those empty roles So it wasn't until I devoted the summer of 2018 fully to the radio station and I tried to get involved as much as possible. Even then, I was getting involved in Newsline. I wasn't just working in sports. It was just making myself as vital as possible and being a team player and anywhere that was needed because a lot of times now, I don't know, then it was there were locals and non-locals. I was I was kind of in the border. I was a local because I could travel into Hofstra really easily. Um, so I decided that it was the time the summer there was less people. I can take more advantage of opportunities that may have not been given to me during the fall and spring semester. So I was like, let me work as hard as possible. So then come the fall, I will be prepared and people will look at me differently. So you, I learned really quickly that you have to work as hard as possible and be the first person there and be the last person to leave. This is sort of a generational observation in, in talking with people from Hofstra Radio over the span of 60 plus years. I've talked to people like Marilyn Krauss, who was there in the 1960s when she and Sue Ronnenberger were the only women there and I've talked to women who were there in the seventies, like in nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties. Uh, one of my contemporaries, Denise Hanak, had an interest in sports broadcasting before she came to the station. And at the time, she thought, "No, that's not really. It's not really for me right now." And someone like Karen Hamble Montalbano, who was there, who was an engineer for sports broadcasting. What I'm trying to get at is, over time, women have had some role in the sports department and, and a growing role within Hofstra radio. Um, can you speak to what it was like for your generation, not only getting to work at the radio station, but going into sports radio? 
Absolutely. Um, I think that 2019, the year that I was the first female sports director, I think was monumental. Um, and that's something then where I thought it was great, that was exciting. But now looking back at it, I think it shifted a point with RHU in all good ways, in mm-hmm. all really good ways. Because when I first entered um, the station back in 2016, there were incredible women that were on the board, that were leaders part of the radio station as a whole, there were plenty of female program directors. There were plenty of female station managers. There were pretty, a a woman had filled almost every single role. Um, And when, when you looked at the sports department, there were members, there were female members on the board, which were, they were doing tech. There was um, social media. They were doing pretty much everything. Assistant, locker room producer, assistant sports director, but there was always missing. There was always there was always a point where we stopped, and I really didn't get the courage until John Mullen pulled me aside one day and said, "You were doing a great job with the Long Island Nets because I was actually going there and I was setting things up. I was setting up the broadcast. I would set up um, the the multi." I I forgot what it's called now, the board, and I was setting Mm -hmm. up the on-site crew and I would be interacting with the PR team for the Nets, the Long Island Nets that were the same PR team for Brooklyn at the time. I think it is still now. And I was interacting with with NBA players. So he had seen all that and he turned to me. He was like, I think you could be sports director. And I was like, no, I was so afraid. And then he really instilled me the confidence that I can lead a, a 60 person department. And I have to say, everyone was extremely supportive. Everyone. And now it, it's just amazing because since now it is 2022, and now there's been three female sports directors hmm. in just a span of three years. So it's now I think anyone is filling in every given role. And it's it's really remarkable to see because you see female even just in you know outside of college radio. There's you know Doris Burke is doing a play by play for ESPN games. You're seeing now more um, women carrying um, leadership roles. So it's remarkable to see, and, and I'm glad at RHU we broke a little barrier, and women are filling every single role that's needed now. Hmm. So you've mentioned a few important names, John Mullen, Ed Ingalls, people who were supportive and helpful. Can you think of other names, other people who were supportive or or helped you get established or make you feel comfortable at the station? Absolutely. I think someone that uh, does not not get as much credit as he deserves and really is the Ed Ingalls figure now to younger people. broadcasters and younger students is Pete Silverman. So he was, I think at the time was the personnel in residence and he worked really closely in both departments, sports and news. Um, And he really gave you the time to sit down, put together mock updates, put together mock um, broadcast, and he would critique them, give you feedback. He would spend time with you, you know, one-on-one, even if it was just, you know, establishing interpersonal skills 
skills. He was a really great mentor for me. And there were many times where I sat with him, you know, discussed about the business. He had a really great um, experience at MSG where he was an on-site producer, um, where he was interacting with different talents um, that even became, you know, superstars. I think one of those is um, Bruce Beck on NBC that we all see. And he would, you know, instill his, um, his background and offer it to students. And I think he's, I think he's still at the station now. And I think now he works just on sports and, but he was extremely monumental and a big reason, um, why I became the leader that I did. Cause he, he was just a great support system to have there. Hmm. So we're, we're looking at things here from, looking back with hindsight, you can look at your experience and say, this is what these things meant to me. Uh, But I'm wondering if you can go back in your shoes as uh, perhaps that high school senior on your first tour or the first time you're stepping into a general interest meeting at WRHU. Can you, can you go back to that point in your life, in your mind and say what you thought WRHU would mean to you? Oh my gosh. Now I have to go back four years. Well, <laughs> some alums have to go back even longer. Um, that's a really interesting question. What would I think? Um, I would think to myself, obviously you get the nerves, right? You get nervous because this is something that's extremely different that you're about to enter. Um, but I think looking back at it, I probably felt... Um, empowered that this was an industry that I wanted to be in, um, that I wanted to get involved really quickly. Um, and I, and I think that I was at the right place at the right time, you know, as, as leaving high school, going into Hofstra, I knew that was the place that I needed to be. And I was for sure, I knew that, um, the radio station would give me everything that I needed to be the professional I am today. So just looking back at it, I think that I was just really sure that this was the place that I, I needed to be to start my media career. Lyanne, thank you so much. This was a, a wonderful conversation, and I really appreciate you sharing your stories. And uh, I'm going to come up with some more questions, and hopefully we can have another conversation sometime. Perfect. Thank you, Brian. And thanks for doing this. I love hearing everyone's stories, and it just shows the impact that RHU has just made in radio and media and TV.